going to get right to the message here. Uh, so we're going to skip the flirtatious talk and just dive right in. Mark chapter 9 in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the edge of the table. I'm sorry, edge of the seat. I've said table since day one that we've ever started this church. I'm it's just sorry, sorry, ADD today. Uh, at the edge of your seat, uh, we have Bibles. And if you, don't, if you can't get to that, um, if you log on to our Facebook page, uh, some of the scriptures that we're going to be reading today are posted on our Facebook page. Uh, go ahead and check in there while you're at it. So, so today, uh, man, today I have a great burden up, laid upon my heart to bring you this message and do it justice. And I'm, I, I, excuse me if I don't do it justice, I'm going to try my best. Um, this is one of those messages that I have never preached about in my eight plus years of ministry. And the reason why I have never preached it, and I will confess to you, is because I didn't fully understand it. And I've studied it. I've, been, have a, I've even had a whole class session on this, and I still never really fully understand it. So what I'm going to do today is bring you what I do understand, and in hopes that it brings some clarity to um, any questions you might have about this next section of Scripture. And the beautiful thing about going verse by verse through the Bible is that I am forced to go through this Scripture. You know, I am forced to do things that, and preach on topics that I might not feel fully comfortable on because I might not feel fully equipped on. And so as your pastor, it is my job to be fully equipped for you and to be able to uh, explain God's Word to you and to be able to bring it to life for you. And so I have done uh, due diligence in my best efforts to bring this to you the best way I can. So uh, forgive me if you're like, man, Pastor, uh, you forgot to mention this. Well, please, by all means, come tell me and, and, and you can preach next week. So um, over the next uh, week or two, we're going to go over this, this next few verses of Scripture, and it's going to be awesome. So Mark chapter 9, we're going to be starting off in verse 1. Mark chapter 9, verse 1 through 2. It says, and he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, he says, And he said to them, Truly I say to you that there is some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Now, what Jesus is talking about here in the first part of this text, verse 1, many people will believe that he's talking about the second coming. He's saying, like, oh, that when I come back to, to earth, that you're going to see power and glory. But that's not what he's talking about here. He is foreshadowing and kind of setting up a preview to what is the next line in the Scripture. And what he is saying is this. He's saying to his disciples, some of you, out of the 12 of you, are going to not die before you see the kingdom and the glory of God right before your eyes. And so it leads into the next series of events, which is where he takes Peter, James, and John, his three homeboys, and he takes them up the mountain, this mountain that they're standing by, and up upon that mountain in front of him, he reveals something to them. He is transfigured in front of him. This is the story of the transfiguration. And that word alone kind of freaks me out because that's a big word. That's a $5 word. Y'all say with me, transfiguration. Transfiguration. Good. Y'all just paid five bucks to say that word. The transfiguration is the Greek word metamorpho. Y'all say that word, metamorpho. And it's where we get our English word metamorphosis. And it literally is like a butterfly that metamorphosizes into something different. 
Um, you think about Transformers, you know, Optimus Prime and all those crazy guys. They, they transform into something different. They're like, you know, a cassette tape. Now they're like a, like a killer robot or whatever it is, you know. A bumblebee is a, is a Camaro it's a, with a yellow paint job. He turns into a robot. You know, they're transforming. They're metamorphosizing into something different. And Peter and, and James and John went up with Jesus. And right before their eyes, Jesus was transformed into something different different. He literally changed his appearance in front of Peter, James, and John, which is pretty awesome, if you ask me. To be a part of that means that you were within Jesus's tight circle. We talked about this in in terms of community, that Jesus had three people that he walked very close life with. Those are your accountability partners. Those are the people that you that you share life together. Over that, he had his 12 disciples. Those are who he did mission with. And upon that, the 12 disciples had family and friends, and those are who he was living in community with. So right now, we're focusing on the three. And he changed in front of these three. He literally changed from God in the flesh, who looks like a man, who it was the image of God that they have known all their life. This is the Jesus they've seen for all their days, and the only part of Jesus they know, he is God in the flesh, and then he transforms to God in the godly form. And he did this for a few reasons. Uh, The first reason he did it, to give them a glimpse of what was to come. He gave him a glimpse of what was going to happen in the future and who he really was. The second thing was he said he did it so he would show them who he really was. Now, the disciples had heard that he was God, and they believed it, that he wasn't just a carpenter from Nazareth. They knew that he was God because Peter even believed it and confessed it earlier in chapter 8. Remember that a couple weeks ago? He said, you are the Christ. You are the risen one. You are the anointed one. And he is uh, showing them by transforming it from that he is God. And that just blows everyone's mind away. That, that, that Jesus, the guy that walked up to the mountain, was not the same guy who was up on the mountain with them. He was transformed into his godly form. So this gives us a glimpse of what is to come. It kind of shows everyone what's about to happen. And, you know, I always think of it kind of like a movie trailer. You know, like, you know, like what I'm talking about, like when you go to the movies and you're sitting in the movies and you sit next to your, 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 your wife or your date, whoever you're with, and you sit in the movies or even with your bros. If you go, how many of y'all go to the movie with, with, your, with your bros, right? And y'all do the, the skip a seat, like, rule, right? Y'all skip a seat. That was a rule we had when, when me and my bros would go out in high school. We are like, dude, skip a seat, bro. Arm length, and you put the popcorn on one side, you know, and so, and you're in there, right? And you're in the movie, and here comes this awesome trailer for something big, right? Here comes this trailer that, like, just, you know, rains down, and it's even better than the movie you went to watch, you know? And it's just like, wow, you know, what do you say whenever you watch that trailer? You, you lean over, like, I'm gonna go watch that movie. Like, I gotta see that movie. Like, or you see stuff, like, man, that's gonna be good. Man, that's going to be so good. Like, oh, man, I got goosebumps, you know? Like, that's so cool. You know, what, what the one that did it for me recently was the Jurassic World movie trailer because I grew up on Jurassic Park. You know, like, you know, I grew up in that era where Jurassic Park was, like, ruling the earth back in, like, the early 90s. And, and you know, I remember, you know, just being so into it as a kid. And, you know, the T-Rex and, like, his vision is based on movement. You know, like, stuff like that. I was, like, all into that. And so after part one, we were like, ah. After part two, we were like, oh, man, that sucked. And then after part three, we were like, dude, rock, you know. And then, but after part three... We thought it was over, right? How many of you guys before a year ago thought that, oh, they're going to make another Jurassic Park? 
We're like, no, most of those actors, Sam Neill is gone, and, you know, the, those actors aren't even around anymore. Like, they're not going to do it, you know? But they did. And then I remember watching the previews for Jurassic World on Super Bowl Sunday, like the big main trailer, and there's Chris Pratt coming out, right? And it's like, you know, like it's an understanding. He's with the Velociraptors and just going around. And, and I remember, you know, them going through the woods on the trans, and, and, and when they get up to the park, the doors open. And it's like, oh, this is happening, right? And they're showing scenes of like, you know, a giant, you know, great white shark being eaten by some sea monster, prehistoric monster. And, you know, there's like all these crazy cool things. The rides are there and the tours are there. And it's like, oh, this is so great. And then comes, you know, the, 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 the drama in the movie. There's a, there's a created monster type dinosaur that's like attacking everyone. It's on the loose. And like, then it's actually getting real good. And, the, and like, and we're like excited about the movie, right? But the last scene of the trailers what got me going, right? Because it shows Chris Pratt, you know, on his dirt bike with the raptors following with him, and they're going to go kick some butt. They're going to go do something, right? And you're like, oh, you know, what's going on? I'm, 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 I'm into it, right? Those type of movie trailers do it for us. Star Wars did it for us, right? When you saw Darth Maul for the first time, I don't know if you guys are Star Wars nuts like I am, but he comes out, right? And at the end of the trailer, like, we thought, you know, at the end of it, was the speculation that George Lucas was going to do more Star Wars, right? But when he starts doing episode one, there's Darth Maul, right? And he shoots out the lightsaber, like, oh, right? And then he goes, zoom, and it shows out the other side. It's like a double-sided lightsaber, like, dude, that is so cool. These trailers do it for us. They, these trailers do it for us, you know? They, they, they excite your heart. They get you going. You see, you guys get excited. You just think, my man, Darth Maul, man, so I wish he wouldn't have got chopped in half. You know, like, some of you people are thinking, like, man, this guy is a nerd. You know, Star Wars, Jurassic, whatever. I don't care. I like it, you know? But this is exactly what he is doing. Jesus is foreshadowing something. And it's almost like he's giving these guys a taste of what is to come. And these guys are going to react in a crazy way. We're going to get into that. He revealed two things about himself to us and to the disciples when he was transfigured. The first thing he revealed was that he was not just man. He was not just a man made of flesh, but he was God in the flesh. It says, uh, Colossians 2.9, it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So Jesus was fully God and fully man. He wasn't 50% and 50% or 75% and 25%. He was 100% and 100%. And that's hard to wrap our mind around, but he really, literally was fully God and fully man. And some of you people say, wait, well, how was Jesus so perfect? And some of you say, well, he was fully God. Yeah, but he was also fully man. So while Jesus was ultimately perfect, and we can say he was fully God, but he is also sinful in nature because he is fully man, but he was able to overcome that sin and be a guide for us to overcome sin because he is also fully God. So he is fully God and fully man. He's 100% of both. Um, And as if the miracles that he did weren't enough to prove that, he goes and gets transfigured in front of these guys. The second thing that he reveals to us upon the, the transfiguration is that through Jesus... We can regain the deepest longings of our hearts. The deepest longings of our hearts. And I'll break that down. Let's just keep reading. Uh, this is verse 2. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up on the mountain high by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Verse 3. And his clothes 
became radiantly, intensely white. And no one on earth could bleach like them, could bleach them. The first thing Mark is explaining here about Jesus is that he is wearing really, really white clothes. You're like, okay, good. Good for him. You know, if that's, what it, if that's what he likes to do, that's cool. Really, really white clothes. Like, there, there's some significance behind the white clothes. They were so white that it said that they were unable to be duplicated here on earth. That's how white they were. Um, the white is also known as a biblical symbol for purity and holiness. So there was, there was some symbolic, you know, importance behind them. And Mark is making the point that Jesus was wearing garments that represented his holiness. That represented his glory. That they were so white and so pure that only Jesus could wear them at that moment on this time on earth. That there was no one on earth who could do this. There was no one who could make garments this white. I'm sorry, Clorox, you can't do it. It's not going to, you can't shout out stains. You're not like the Smurfs that can keep their shoes white when they're running around on the, on the grass. They have to, no thing on earth could be as white as what Jesus was wearing here. Later on, this is, this is, it's stuck in their minds so much that one of the guys that was up there on a the mountain, uh, John, wrote a little book called Revelation a few years later when he was stuck on some island. And he's out there and he's writing and he, and he says this in Revelation 7-9. He says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all people and all languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb were clothed in white robes with palm branches at their hands. So this is the same type of white that we are all going to have when we get to heaven. But we can't have it here on earth, but we can get to it when we're in heaven. So when Jesus is wearing this type of white, he's wearing his heavenly clothes. These aren't the things that he wore when he first went up to the mountain. They became holy and pure. He was transformed into something else in front of everyone else. The other thing we see is that Jesus' face was shining like the sun. It was bright like the sun. Now, Mark doesn't talk too much about this, because if you guys remember, Mark is one of those cut-to-the-chase kind of guys. We always say that about Mark, that is, uh, the other Gospels are like this long. Mark said everything that these people said in like this right here. He was the man's man of the, pro- of, of the Gospel writers. You know, women, they like to expand on things. You know, like men do it like right here, you know? So God, uh, Mark said that, but Matthew expounded a little bit more upon the transfiguration. That's going to go over to Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Let's go ahead and turn with me there. We're going to pick up in the same story, but under the account of Matthew. Matthew says this, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Sounds familiar, right? Everything is going good. Everything is the same. And he was transformed before them. Everything's good here. But listen to what, what Matthew says. It says, And his face shone like the sun, and these clothes became white as light. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. The word shone, uh, or shone, is translated in the Greek word lampo. Y'all say that, lampo. Lampo, okay. Which is really meaning to produce light. To produce light. Jesus' face was literally producing light off of it. It makes me think about the story of Moses when, when he was out and he was wandering the desert and he walked up and him and 
God had a little moment on top of a mountain, and then there was a Ten Commandments that came out of that moment. And he's up there on Mount Sinai. He's doing his thing with God. But he's up there, and he makes a strange request to God. He says, Lord, show me your glory. Lord, show me your glory. This is Moses who has just been through a lot of things with God already. Like Moses was the guy who was protected by God when he was in the Nile. And, you know, he was in the basket, floating the river, and then the, the Pharaoh's daughter found him and kept him. And so God was shielding him and protecting him ever since he was a baby. And as he grew up in the kingdom and in the palace, he, he got into a little scuffle. He murdered the guy, and then he was banished for like 40 years out in the desert. And while he's out there, he marries a, um, a lady of a different nation and all that. And then he gets married, and his father-in-law is out there, and he's like helping tend to the cattle and everything. And one day, he goes out, and he's walking around. He's tending to the cattle, and he hears something talking. And he walks around, and he finds a burning bush. And so he actually gets to be in the presence of God right there. The bush is, is God talking to him. It's, it's on fire, but it's not burning. You know what I mean? So it's like really cool, right? And so God's talking to him, and he says, I am sent you, and go and tell Pharaoh, make my people go. So he got to experience that. He got to see the hand of God work through all of the ten plagues that, he had, that God did to allow his people to go. Moses also got to be experienced in leading people out of Egypt. He got to see the hand of God work when God split the waters at the Red Sea. Moses got to experience the trust of God when they're wandering the desert and manna is falling from the sky. There were so many things and so many miracles that Moses got to see. But through it all, he says, that was awesome. That was great. But there was one thing I want to see more than anything else on the earth. I want to see your glory. God, show me your face. Show me your glory. And God says, yeah, no, that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. It was a problem, and God said no. And God said no for a good reason. First of all, has that ever happened to you? God, give me this. Give me this. And God says, no. Nah. Like Uncle Sai, nah. It ain't going to happen, you know? And it says, show me your glory. And God says, no, you can't see my glory. Because if you see my glory, you're going to die. I ain't done with you yet. He says that God is so utterly glorious, so above and so pure than everything else, that if you so much as see the glory of God, you will be stricken by death. Y'all remember Old Testament stuff like that, right? And so Moses is on the mountain and says, God, show me your glory. He says, no, but check it out. Because I know you want to be a part of this. I know you want to see this. Check it out. There is a cleft in the rock over there. Just go walk over, hide into that little crevice of the rock. When you're there, I'm going to walk past you. I'm going to take my hand. I'm going to shield your eyes, which is pretty freaking cool if you ask me. God shielding your eyes over something. Just imagine God touching you, right? He goes, I'm going to shield your eyes, and I'm going to walk past you. And when I walk past you, I'm going to let you get a glimpse of my back. That's it. And this was so powerful to Moses because when it happened, whenever God walked past him, he was so glorious and so bright and so pure of energy and power that when he walked past Moses, the light from God hit Moses and reflected off his face for weeks. And it was so powerful that when Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he's like, guys, check it out. I got Ten Commandments from God. And he was so bright. They're like, whoa, Moses, put a veil on. Your, your face is like really bright. It produced and it reflected light off his face. Moses' face reflected the light of God, much like the moon reflects the light from the sun. The moon doesn't produce light. The moon is a dark rock up in the sky. 
it doesn't produce light. It, it might be bright, but when it's bright, it is just storing the reflection of the sun and then shining it back down to earth. That's all it is. That's why sometimes the moon is full. Sometimes the moon is half. Sometimes it's quarter. It's in a crevice or whatever, a crescent moon, whatever. It's God's thumbnail. If you remember Angels in the Outfield, 90s kids, come on. You know? Uh, so, you know, the moon reflects the light of God, just like Moses' face was reflecting the light. But Jesus' face was producing light, just like our sun does. He was producing the light of God. It says here in Matthew uh, 17, verse 2, it says, He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. It was producing light, just like the sun in our atmosphere. And his clothes became white as light. It was so awesome that whenever uh, the, the, uh, the gospel writer John, he talks about it again. He talks about this in, in verse 14 of, of his first gospel. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's talking about Jesus. And we have all seen his glory. That we've all seen it. He's talking about the time when he was up on the mountain with Jesus. We saw his glory. The disciples that were up on the mountain of transfiguration got to see what Moses did not get to see. They got to see the full glory of God right before them, and yet they did not die. They got to see that Jesus was clearly revealing that he was God in front of them. And he was having a moment with them, and yet they did not die. What he also revealed is through Jesus, through him, through him, that we can regain and, be, and capture what is the deepest longing of our hearts. He showed us upon the, the mountain of transfiguration that, that we can regain the deepest longing of our hearts. And that deepest longing is this, a face-to-face relationship with our Creator. A face-to-face relationship and embrace of our Creator. That is the deepest longing of our hearts, but it's also the biggest conundrum that we can ever face in this world. It is the biggest problem we will ever face in this world. Because while our deepest longing is to have a relationship with Jesus and to be embraced by our Savior, that is the longing of all of our hearts. If that is, that is our biggest longing, the problem is that sin keeps us from getting there. Just like Moses, because he was sinful, he could not have that face-to-face relationship with God. Because he would die. It's why we exist, to be intimate, loving, and in a relationship to embrace our Creator. And why we, want, why we long for that is because we used to have it long ago. We used to have it in the garden of, of, um, of in the paradise back when Adam and Eve were there, right? Garden of Eden. They were, had that relationship with God that, that they would be out walking around. And I was like, hey guys, what's up? You know, and they were just like walking around with God and they were able to come to God and talk to God all the time. They walked every day with him and talked to him. And they even, you know, they even got to spend a lot of moments with him. But then something happened. Sin entered their life and entered the picture and ruined it for all of us. The moment that happened, all of creation was tainted from that point on. That's why babies, when they're born, everyone's like, Ay, que chulo, he's so cute. But we're all born that sinful nature. That's why we don't have to teach our kids how to, how to, how to like, be stingy with their toys. You don't have to teach your kids to lie when they're in trouble. They know it. Some of you are like, well, my kid's perfect. No, (laughs) they're not. I've seen your kid. (laughs) My kid's not perfect. You've seen my kids. Way far from being perfect. So the most of us will, and here's the thing, the most of us will spend our entire life trying to fill the void that was created by sin between us and God. 
We spend our entire life trying to do this. And if you're honest, there is a void there in your heart. Oh, there was a void there. If you know Jesus, you found the way to fill that void. But majority of us would go through years and years of trying to fill the void with things that do not make sense to try to get it. Have you ever noticed that many of us long for the approval of other people? We long, you know, you know that guy that's always like, I want to I wanna be known, I want to be accepted by everyone. Or, or you, you long for the applause of people. You all know that one person, that one guy or girl that it doesn't matter how awesome, uh, you know, you're sitting around a table and there's one person who's like, you know, maybe he's like a pilot or something. Or maybe he's like some type of like, you know, ex-army ranger. He's like, man, back in Vietnam, we did all this cool stuff and it was all this stuff. And there's always that one guy that tries to one-up him. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah, well, you know, I was hunting one day, you know, and like there was this rabid squirrel. And, you know, like, he's, he's always a person that tries to one-up you. Like, you know, like, man, back when I was a Heisman Trophy winner, man, my college team was, yeah, you know what, dude? My high school team went to the playoffs. You know, like, you always try to want, there's always someone who's looking for the applause, acceptance of people, someone who's ever, like, wanting to be noticed by people. You know that one guy in the party that's always doing something stupid just so he can get noticed by people. You know what I mean? Everything's cool. Everyone's chilling. And there's one guy, he starts like breakdancing on the floor or something. Like, like, what does he want? He wants people to look at him. He's an attention grabber, you know? You know, we do this and it hurts so bad to, to us whenever it, we don't get that applause. We don't get that approval from people. Um, we hurts bad. And then there's a um, part of us who, we just don't feel complete without that approval of other people. Some of you might say, I don't care what people think. Well, the fact that you have to say, I don't care what people think, makes me t- tells me that you really do care what people think because you feel the need to justify the fact that you don't care what people think. I like that, right? I, it's because you say, I don't care what people think. It's because you really, I, I hear rappers like, man, I got something to say. I don't care what people think. But if you don't care what people think, why do you got to say it? Just saying, just saying. That's none of my business. Oh. All right, so... <laughs> So that is in all of us. Yes. It is in all of us because at one time we had that experience with God and within Adam and Eve that we were connected to God. And because that was ripped and because there was a void that was left there, we feel like we need to stay connected to God. And we all know that how to get back to that connection because of years and years and years of sin in our generations and generations, we feel that we need to fill that void with things like art, things like music. How many people are like so into their music? Man, man, my music's my life, man. You know, you get into it. Things like romance. Things that, you know, I just want that perfect relationship that just fills my needs. Things like sex and pornography. Things that cause a lot of damage in life. Food, alcohol, work. How many people are workaholics and that's all we do all day is I just go, uh, I just, if I just get this promotion, if I just, if I just get this, this, if I just take the next ring of the ladder and step up, I'll be okay. I'll be satisfied. Uh, exercise. I mean, we just, if I just exercise, man, I just want to just exercise. Go, 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 go. If my body just looked like this, if my body just looked like that, man, I want my body to do this, do that. Um, you know, marriage, some of us feel like marriage is going to help. Like, man, if I, if I would just had a wife that just met all my needs, I will be happy. Good luck finding that, man. You know, like, seriously. Women, if I just had a man, I, I just need a man who is not a jerk. You know, like, if I just had someone like that, my needs would be okay. Children, many of us, right, I mean, how many girls I knew growing up were like, oh, I just need a baby. I'm like, you have no job. You know, like. Like, that doesn't make sense. You're like, I, if I just had a baby, I would be happy. I'm like, no, 
you're smoking. Like, why, what are you thinking, you know? We try to fill our desire, our void to be happy in life with things that will never fully fill the void like Jesus can. No matter how much stuff we accumulate in life, how much of this we build up for ourselves and the treasures we keep here on earth, we will never fulfill the true longing of our hearts without Jesus. He can try. King Solomon said that when he was writing so as he asks, he says, I have done so much. I have done all of this stuff, and none of it can amount to the love of God. And this guy had like, you know, I mean, this dude was like castles, kingdoms. He had tons of wives. Why would he want tons of wives? I mean, one's <laughs> enough. You know, he had servants and armies and riches and glory. And he says, none of that, none of that works for me. That longing can only be satisfied in one place. It is the face-to-face embrace of our created one, the one who created us. The longing in our hearts can only be satisfied in one place, and that is when we have a face-to-face relationship with Jesus Christ. Like I said, there's a problem that we're sinful people, and God is utterly and completely holy, which puts a void between us. We can't just simply approach God. We know what happens when we approach God. One, you die. So transcendent is his majesty and so profound is his holiness that we die even in the, in the, in the realm of his surroundings. Like just being in his, you know, in his area, we die because we are so sinful in nature. There are stories in the Old Testament where people would just simply mess around with the presence of God and died. There's a, a, a story when they were transporting the Ark of the Covenant and it started to tip over and they were not supposed to touch it. And one guy was like, he freaked out, and he touched it, and zap, he dead. And there were so many other stories of people who came into the presence of God, and they were killed, dead, because he was so holy, and there was nothing to help us transcend that, that, that barrier between us and him. When people get around the proximity of God's presence, the other thing is that when we hear his voice, we completely freak out. We completely freak out just hearing the voice of God. We were scared to death. I think about Isaiah. He had a vision, and he actually just heard the word of God. He just heard the voice of God. And in just hearing the voice of God in his life, he freaked out, and he hit the floor crying. He said this. Just, he said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. You see, when he encountered the perfect holiness of God, he immediately started to see his filthiness. He immediately started to see his need for, for a Savior, he, his, his need to be with that. And he started to confess things. Many reasons why we struggle with sin is because we don't confess sin. But when we understand the fullness and the holiness of God, we need to confess it. It's an unstoppable thing. We need to just come to the feet of God and lay all of our burdens down. We have to do that. That's exactly what Isaiah did. He started confessing his sin to the Lord. And that's exactly what's about to happen in the story up here on the mountain. Right now, it's just the disciples and Jesus. But here in just a minute, Moses and Elijah are going to show up. It's like, wow. They're going to like pop up and it's going to be crazy. Moses and Elijah are going to show up and Peter's going to think it's awesome. And then God the Father is going to show up and he's going to start talking and check out what happens. Staking with Matthew, Matthew 17. He says this. It says that he was transfigured before him, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. 
And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, pretty cool, and talking with them, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here with you right now. If you wish, I will make some tents here, and one of them will be for you, one of them will be for Moses, and one of them will be for Elijah. Peter was so excited to see Moses and Elijah up in the mountain. He's like, I'm going to build some tents. Whatever floats your boat, Peter. You know, like, like some of us will, when we, at least he didn't do like a really awkward, like happy dance. You know what I mean? Like he was like so excited to see Moses and Elijah pop up with Jesus. He was so pumped up. He's like, I'm going to build some tents. That's what we're going to do. We're going to just build some tents. How many of you guys would like to like, I mean, like the Cowboys win the Super Bowl? Let me go build a tent. You know, like, it, it just, I'm oh, sorry, side note, side note there. He was still speaking. I'm going to edit that part out because no one laughed. And he was still, thank you, perfect. He was still speaking. This is verse 5. He was still speaking. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. This is God speaking. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, which is a reference back to when Jesus got baptized. There's the only time that he said, this is my beloved son. So this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He was pleased when he was baptized. That's why baptism is so important. It's not something we just kind of forsake. I mean, God was well pleased with the son when he was baptized. And he's also well pleased when he was seeing Jesus in all of his glory. He is well pleased. That's why when we come to know Jesus, God will be well pleased with us because we will reflect his glory. Sorry, side note. He says, who I am well pleased with and listen to him. So God comes down, and he doesn't go all old school, Old Testament, and say like, boom, lightning strike, you're dead, that's why you shouldn't, you should have listened. Or he doesn't say like, hey, this is my son, shut up and listen to him, he's really smart. He says, this is my son, listen to him. Listen, Linda, listen. Sorry. You guys don't watch YouTube. Y'all remember that little kid? Okay, I'm sorry. Man, you guys are like, just finish the sermon, Felix. It's lunchtime. (laughs) So God goes old school. It doesn't go old school. In fact, he comes and he says, this is my son. Listen to him. Verse 6 says this. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. So they get the same response. Here comes God speaking to them. And they're just like Isaiah. And they fall on their face and they're terrified. They're shivering. They're shaking. They're scared, right? Just like the way that um, when, when Isaiah, when he encountered the presence of God. And ever since Adam and Eve sinned, everyone who has ever encountered the presence of God has either been torn down to their feet in fear and trembling, or they've been killed by the presence of God because He is so holy and so pure. So for all these years, everything is like just, it's it's like it's all or nothing with God. He is so pure and so holy. But these guys saw what Moses wanted to see and didn't get to see. And they saw and they heard what Isaiah heard and was terrified to do, but they did not die. Why did they not die? It's important. Everyone else has died before this. Everyone else has been terrified and just like just going like really upset and crazy when they even see the presence of God. But here God shows up in front of the disciples and they do not die. It's because they needed a mediator. And that mediator is Jesus. Check this out. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The first thing Jesus did 
When all these sinful people encountered a holy God and hit the floor, face down, confessing sin, and just, oh my goodness, God is here. And the first thing, we're going to die. Like I told you, you should have been lived better, you know. And like they're face down on the floor. And the first thing Jesus does is he walks up and he pats them on the back. Just get up. Don't be scared. And they turn around and they see Jesus and all of his glory producing light. Jesus, God in the flesh, a pure, holy entity, does not just strike down the sinner in death. He reaches out to the sinner in love. There's a mediator now between us and God. Everything else disappeared, and they all saw the face of Jesus at that moment. Jesus was showing that he was God, white robes, shiny face, full of power and glory, and we did not have to be afraid anymore of that. For many years, people were afraid of God. There was a fear against God because they knew it all happened, because they knew they were sinful. But the awesome thing is, is that because God has sent us Jesus, we no longer have to fear God. We no longer have to fear the fact that we are filthy and sinful in our hearts. That we can go and we can approach Jesus. And through Jesus, we can approach God and be redeemed through him. His holiness will no longer knock us down, but rather lift us up and make us holy just like him. So that when we enter the gates of heaven, we will be wearing white robes just like he was. On the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus was doing so much more than just giving them an opportunity for them to believe in his divinity, but he was actually showing them his divinity. He was giving them something more. He was giving them a foretaste of what was the deepest longing of their heart that they probably didn't even really realize yet until they saw it. And they're like, that's what we want, to be holy and in love with an amazing creator, God. That is a cure to all of our cravings. That is the fill of the void in our hearts. That is the one thing we all long for, to have a relationship with a living God, to be connected in community with him, and to be redeemed by his son. And the only way we can have that relationship with a living, pure, holy God is through Jesus Christ. So I ask you this today. Are you going to come to Jesus and run to him like crazy, saying, God, I want to see your face? Father, I want to see your glory. And because of Jesus stepping in and being our mediator, we can now do that openly without the fear of God. We are all accepted in the arms of Jesus because, of, because he is God, because of Jesus died on the cross for us. He made a way for us to have a connection with our living Savior, to have a connection and a way to touch the living Savior and live in community with him without being stricken down by his holiness and his glory. We get to partake in the holiness and glory. We're no longer just reflecting the light of God when we actually are within the presence of God. Now, through Jesus, we are producing light. That's why it says, be a light in the world around you. Let's all pray. Father God, thank you so much for just today. And God, thank you for your son. God, so many times we tend to search things out in life to fill up a need. God, may we just know that that need can only be met through your son, Jesus. 
may we know that that need in our heart, that longing of our heart, can only be filled through Jesus Christ and his glory. May we come to the cross today, Lord, laying our burdens down. May we fall on our knees, Lord, and just praise you and beg for your mercy and your, your redeeming love. And may we feel that love and the touch of your son, Jesus Christ, come to us. God, may we know that in all things, Jesus is better. All of our sorrows and all of our cravings and everything, Jesus is better than those things. May we know that no matter what happens in life, He is better. And that is why we seek Him. May we choose not to fill our hearts with things that will never fulfill us. May we choose to seek Jesus because Jesus is better. For those of us here who may not believe that, may you make our heart believe that. May you make our heart believe. God, take our heart and make it believe. Help us believe that your son is better. Help us know that no matter what we seek, no matter what path we try to go on, no matter what road we try to take, he is the better choice. That Jesus is better. Let's all keep our heads bowed. Let's worship.